You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. So the year's 1993, and I'm in art school at a UW extension over in Wisconsin. See, I love to draw. And I started drawing when I was around seven, and, and people began to tell me that I had some talent. And so growing up, I thought my life was going to be all about art and all about drawing things. I wanted to do illustrations in the medical field. Not exactly sure why, because I, I could never be a doctor, but it's just kind of what I wanted to do. And I was dating a woman at the time, and the relationship wasn't going well, so I thought it would be a good idea if we were to pursue some relationship counseling. And my motive for doing that wasn't exactly pure, because I kind of wanted her to see how great I was and, and how much she needed to change. And as you can imagine, it didn't go as I had planned, and the counselor saw right through me, and, and the counseling ended, and the relationship ended. Well, that same year, I came to know Jesus as my Savior, and I started my lifelong journey of, of knowing him as Lord, but I still had plans of my own. I still wanted to be an illustrator, and I was moving forward with those plans. One day, though, completely out of the blue, this relationship counselor that I had seen, uh, and he'd known I had some issues, I think he called them character flaws, uh, he calls me and he tells me that he's, he's leading up this rehabilitation group for boys between the ages of 12 and 17 who had gotten arrested for, for various crimes, gotten in trouble with, with the law. And he said if these boys completed this 12-week class, they could avoid jail time, and he wanted to know if I would consider assisting him. I thought it, about it for a, about a day or two, and, and I said yes, all the while thinking, well, this is just a temporary gig, um, because I had never thought about or, or desired to work with students before, and a career in art is where I was heading. The first 12 weeks of, of the class, of the group, were, were really interesting, and I started to notice that I was really liking what I was experiencing, and, and those 12 weeks went by, and then I was asked uh, to assist in the, in the second round of the 12-week class. And it was during that time that I began to sense a possible change of direction for my life. And to be honest, I, I didn't necessarily like it at first. I knew what I wanted in life, but, but now I'm also beginning to grow in my, my faith journey. And during this time, I just happened to hear a commercial on a Christian radio station that a juvenile rehabilitation organization for at-risk teen boys was looking for a position called a resident instructor. This position would entail working with teens who had actually served time in prison and, and they would come there and have the chance to, to learn job skills and get their high school diploma. And I couldn't get this opportunity off my mind, so I, I made a phone call uh, to this place and I set up an interview. And at the same time, I was also sending out resumes for jobs in the art field where I could use my artistic talent and getting a lot of those you're great but you're just not what we're looking for type of responses. My interview with this Christian juvenile rehab organization was three days of, of being on site with them and it went really well and my last question for them was what's next? Well the director told me that, that I needed to get my resume together and send it to them and, and they would review that. Okay well the problem was I had no such resume at least not one that would impress anyone looking for a candidate with a lot of experience in their field. So I went home and spent the whole evening typing up a resume and, and tried to figure out how I could make a few months of working with students seem like it was years because everything depended on them being impressed with my resume. At least that's what I thought. So now it's the next day and my phone rings. 
and it's the director of the organization that I'm interviewing with, and he says, listen, the, the staff gathered after you left, and, and we prayed and really feel that God wants you here, so we want you here. So he said, the position is yours if you want it. So before I have my aren't you all impressed with me resume even completed, God makes it clear that he is in control. He made his will, his sovereignty obvious. And I've been working with students for 25 years. Hey everyone, my name is Kevin Christian and I am the student ministries pastor here at Ridgewood Church. It is great to be with you here today. Would you pray with me as we begin to dig into God's word? Father God, thank you for this opportunity to be together. Lord God, we invite your presence here. Um, God, we just ask that you would do something great in our hearts, that we would leave this conversation, Lord, um, just closer and, and deeper in a relationship with you than we were before we began. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The Who is God series that Pastor Paul has been sharing with us over the last several weeks has been really great. And it's so important for our journeys as Christ followers. The more we grasp the character of the God of the Bible, the more it encourages us to, to deepen our understanding of him and our hunger to know him. The attribute that we're going to unpack today is the doctrine of divine sovereignty. And I think that this is the one attribute of God's character, of who God is, that Christ followers wrestle with, with the most. The idea that God is sovereign over everything. Students, I need you to listen up on this because this is so important for you to understand because learning to trust that God alone determines our life's course is going to shape who you become uh, and how you live as Christ followers. And adults, this is just as important for us because it governs how we handle the events that occur in our lives. Divine sovereignty is a very weighty subject, and because of that, it's so important that we base our beliefs about this attribute of God not on what we feel, not on what we think that we know, or, or what on, makes the most sense, but entirely on God's word alone. The definition of sovereignty is this, supreme or unlimited power, authority, and control. See, his control means that everything happens according to his plan and his purpose and intention. And a quick search of the Bible confirms God's sovereignty in verses like Ephesians 1.11 that says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And also, Psalm 135.6, The Lord does whatever pleases him, in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas, and in all their depths. God is sovereign, right? We read it, we say we believe it, we quote it. You've probably said it many times over the last four to five months or heard other people say it countless times in the last four to five months. The doctrine of sovereignty states that God is in complete control of all things. And according to his word, he is sovereign over the universe the laws of nature, the matters of nations, human destiny, human successes and failures, and the protection of his people. The universe and everything in it is not governed by chance or fate, but through divine providence, which can be summarized this way. God, 
in eternity past, in the guidance of his own will, ordained everything that will ever happen. That's so good, I'm going to say that again. God, in eternity past, in the guidance of his own will, ordained everything that will ever happen. How's that for a mic drop statement? Our main text today is found in Romans 9, starting in verse 13. And just for a little background context, Paul is speaking directly to the Jews who are the recipients of the first promise of salvation through faith. And he's heartbroken that many Jews have not believed. Paul's plea is that salvation is not obtained by human efforts, but it depends solely on God's mercy. And just as importantly, Paul says God's righteousness and will are displayed even through evil. This is what it says. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? The combination of the words of these verses underscores in the strongest possible terms that God ordains all events and is in control of all events. He is sovereign. But we wrestle with this. We do. We wrestle with the truth that God is in complete control of everything. See, we love the fact that God is sovereign and we get great peace from that truth until... Until what? Until a situation does not go the way that we thought it should or wanted it to or needed it to. A job ends and finances crumble. A child rebels. A sickness isn't healed. Or a virus puts the world on lockdown. Then we say that this couldn't possibly fit into our God's sovereign will. We struggle with this because we can't wrap our minds around the idea that what God has ordained for our life may not be what we planned or what we think is best. And we forget that his word tells us this in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. And I encourage you to read all of Isaiah 55 to gain full context of these two verses. And this is what it says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We live our lives every day as though we are in total control of everything that happens until something goes wrong, and then we blame God and we want to hold him accountable 
for not having done what we think he should have done. We want it both ways. We want a God who is powerful enough to do anything that we wish. See, our human side, our our flesh, says, I want God to give me my own life. Right? I'll share parts of it with him, but only if he promises to leave those other areas of my life alone that I still want to control until, until I'm ready to share those areas with him. And if it doesn't go well, if it doesn't go like I want it to, then I'm going to be mad at God and question why he allowed that certain thing to happen to me. Can you relate to this? Students, I'm just going to say the word mood. See, most of us bounce around right here. We, we, we bounce around in this reality. I want God to be sovereign to the extent that he causes things to happen in accordance with the way that I think they ought to. That's not God. And I think we struggle most when we don't know why something happened. And it, like, it seems like God is silent. But that's when we need to trust the most. We need to cry out to the Holy Spirit to help us to trust. The doctrine of sovereignty has been something that's been written about and discussed as long as human beings have been reading the Bible. Theologian Wayne Grudem in his writings on systematic theology said this, The decrees of God are the eternal plans of God, whereby before the creation of the world, he determined to bring about everything that happens. His providential actions are the outworking of the eternal decrees that he made long ago. He is sovereign over the whole world and everything that happens in it. God is never helpless. He's never taken by surprise. He's never not in complete control. He reigns over every nation, every people, every president, every king, and every politician. Whatever comes about, he intended to come about. He's not arbitrary in his decisions. That's what it means to be Sovereign. I want to hit the pause button for just a second and briefly address something, and that's the matter of how our free will and God's sovereignty mix. And it would take a whole other series to to comprehensively unpack this, but I do want to say this. God is so completely sovereign that he can accomplish his will through our free will. His will through our free will. I hope that this is shattering the box that you may have put God in in this area. Pastor and author John Piper said this pertaining to free will. This, to me, is one of the great mysteries of biblical teaching that I cannot explain. How God governs the will of sinful beings, yet in doing so does not sin and does not take away their responsibility. I see that it is true because the Bible teaches it, but how God does this remains a mystery. Some even debate that the the concept of God directly orchestrating all things destroys any possibility of our free will. If God is in complete control, how can we be truly free then in the decisions that we make? In other words, for free will to be meaningful, there must be some things that are outside of God's sovereign control. But if God is not in control of all things, then he is not sovereign. And if he is not sovereign, he is not God. If our free will then can can eclipse God's will, then we're falsely exalting ourselves 
above God, and that conclusion should be unacceptable to anyone with a biblical worldview. Well, here's some good news. I want to assure you of something. I want to assure you that as long as you're open to the Holy Spirit's counsel, it's completely okay to wrestle with this character trait of God. He does not expect us to have him all figured out. If you already haven't, haven't noticed this, the creator is infinitely more wise than his creation. The Apostle Paul reminds us of this in Romans 11.33 when he says this, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. So one of two things happens in us as we grapple with the, the sovereignty of God. We're either going to thank him that he is always in control of everything, good or evil, even if we don't understand it, right? Or we're going to harden our heart and say, I will not believe in a God like that. So I want to give you three truths to keep locked into your heart as we get ready to wrap up. First one is this, God is good. King David had several of his own wrestling matches with God's sovereign will, but he tells us this in Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Spurgeon's commentary describes it like this, and, and this is beautiful. Listen to this. Make an inward, experimental trial of the goodness of God. You cannot see except by tasting for yourself. But if you taste, you shall see. For this, like Jonathan's honey, enlightens the eyes. That the Lord is good, you can only know this really and personally by experience. What an amazing invitation that, that David uh, gives us, that God allows David to give us, uh, to, to share with us, to taste and see that God is good. If you're a Christ follower, you already know this. You already know that God is good because you've, you've personally experienced his goodness in your life. And, and you've, you've heard stories from many other people about God's goodness. See, God promises that he works good in our lives. God is good all the time. Amen? And number two, God deeply desires to give you an abundant life. In John 10.10, 10, there's a, a promise from Jesus, and that's to give us a life more abundantly. And so a quick study of these words reveals that Jesus, when he talks about this, he's not referring to, to wealth or happiness or earthly success. If that were the case, then it would contradict most of what Jesus taught concerning the trials and the troubles of this world. See, what Jesus is promising is to give us himself, his joy, his peace, his hope, and his provision, which are all far greater than, than any abundant life that we can kind of create or, or muster up for ourselves. The original Greek translation of this verse actually means super abundant. And we experience that as we continually surrender our lives to Christ. And number three, God will never leave you nor forsake you. And here's what this promise means. In Deuteronomy 31.6, it was written to, to encourage the people of Israel. Their reality presented their lives with impossible challenges, and God wanted them to know undeniably that they could trust him. 
It was a call to obedience amidst Israel's great adversity. And in that verse, God tells us, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. A promise is for us today. It's a promise for all Christ followers. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you, no matter what. If those promises are true, and they certainly are, and if God is sovereign, which he is, then what does that mean for us? What does it mean for the body of Christ, for the church? Well, it means that trusting in his sovereignty allows us to surrender. Surrender our life when it's going as planned? That's easy. But it's also our pain that we can surrender, our loss. We can surrender our future, our fear, our worries, our difficult relationships, our children, what school is going to look like this fall. We can surrender our marriage, our finances, and the list could go on. We can trust in his sovereignty because God is the great orchestrator, working through the events that he planned and foreknew would take place before the beginning of time. As Christians, we know that true happiness, that, that a truly abundant life comes from true surrender. I love this quote from Pastor Craig Groeschel. If God has done what you think he should do, trust him. If God doesn't do what you think he should do, trust him. If you pray and believe God for a miracle and he does it, trust him. If your worst nightmare comes true, believe he is sovereign, believe he is good. Church, what it may boil down to is that we fear that God's will, his sovereign control over our lives, may mean that what we've decided is good and less problematic for ourselves may not happen. And if something takes place that we can't figure out, we default to thinking that, that God is not good or, or that he doesn't fully know what he's doing. That is not God. The God who created the universe and everything in it is sovereign over everything. Will you pray with me as we close? Father God, we love you and we worship you for your countless attributes. The truth that you are the great orchestrator and that you are in control is so comforting and brings so much peace to our hearts. At the same time, Lord, it is impossible for us to fully wrap our minds around this unfathomable truth. Help us to grow in trust of you, of your perfect will, as we journey our faith walks with you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.